Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? We waited, not on purpose, a few days to record a podcast so we could, in fact, say with confidence that one, it is great seeing Kenyon Martin back in Fifth Third Arena, his home, and probably being the best coach of the night, and just an absolute drubbing of Miami, which, not going to lie, I was sweating on whether or not to take the Bearcats to cover. I ultimately took the cover and the over. Thanks, thanks, Cats, for, for not making me look foolish here. So it is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. Kenyon Martin, I thank you for not making this completely a complete embarrassment of a, of a weekend this past weekend. Hummer, don't leave the football team out. It is bowl week, baby. The Fenway Bowl is on deck Saturday. Bearcats in Boston. Don't sleep on the Bearcat football team. It's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat football fan as well, sir. Oh, we we still care about bowl games around here. I don't know about you, but um, I'm going to apply. I'm going to go to the open, the open air talent show hosted by ESPN. So I'm I'm going to have to take a break from the podcast. Okay, I'm going to have to take a step back. I cannot participate. And um, I'm going to have to save my voice to make sure that I don't get injured prior to these 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 uh, these open air talent shows. Coming off the top rope at the open of the podcast about bowl game opt outs. It's like 10 years ago, 2012. We're getting upset about this. That's still happening. That's a thing. You know, it happens. I'm just like, uh, at some point I'm sitting there like, all right, your your reasoning for it is you you're going to go and opt for the NFL draft. The draft isn't till April. The combine isn't till March. And the probability of injury is relatively low. And like, if anything, wouldn't this help your draft stock by having great games? Another, another scouting event that, you know, that they could see, see you in instead. The next thing they're going to get is how fast you can run a 40. Relatively low. It's football. Relatively low compared to what? Injuries it's happen just, all the time, week in, week out. Broken necks, broken spines, spinal. I broke my back, spinal. <laughs> Achilles I mean, injuries, ACL injuries. You, you have injuries, but like I, my point is, it's like I just at some point I'm just like, all right, enough's enough. Can we stop playing these bowl games if all kids are going to do is opt out? Like I'm well, not. I don't get excited about the Fenway Bowl, knowing that the best team is not going to be out there. Like we're going to be playing Louisville. <laughs> Would you get excited about the Fenway Bowl anyway? Are you like, you know, were you chomping at the bit to wake up 11 a.m., pour yourself a margarita and and watch some Boston, you know, Fenway sports? No. Literally this weekend, I am actually planning my weekend around the Fenway Bowl to watch it on television and to watch the Bengals game. And we're talking about going to Little Italy up in the Bronx, which is an hour and 10 minutes from my house via, via vehicle. 
And I'm saying to Julia, if you want to do this, you have to drive because I'm going to sit in the passenger seat and watch this football game. That's how little of importance it is to me is that I'm not going to sit in front of my couch and do it. I'm going to give it the bare minimum of attention uh, because you're right. The only reason I even care about this at all is because we're playing Louisville. And maybe I'm a little more frustrated with the opt out opt-outs because we are playing Louisville. So to me, the stakes are a little higher with this game because I want the kick and nails home. I don't want it at a school who lets their janitor take it home, lose it, have to build a replica of it to then lose it again to the same said janitor. I don't get it. I don't, it doesn't belong there. It's a disaster of a program. It's a disaster of an athletic department. And the fact that our best team isn't going to show up for it irritates me. So I'm taking it out on the kids who are in fact opting out, even though I, I get the reason if you get injured, sure, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be healthy in time to go participate in the combine when in fact, all you have to do in the combine, if you're, you know, someone like Scott is run a sub four, four in the 40 and you're getting drafted. There are players opting out of the college football playoff and you are treating some iconic yeah. Cincinnati Bearcats opting out of the Fenway bowl. Yeah. You are where, by the way, we are not being coached by the head coach that coached this football team throughout the season. The head football coach has left this team. Yeah. They are right. also not being coached by their next head coach. They're being yep. coached by Carrie. I understand. This leads me to my next question. Is it Carrie Coombs or Carrie Combs? Is we it Carrie Coombs about this. or Carrie Combs? And for some reason, I was always assuming it was one O. And I think I asked you, like, it's one O, right? Or you're like, and I was like, it has to be two O's for, for, cause Coombs, you would know. I mean, I've always heard it pronounced Kerry Combs. And I'm saying Kerry Coombs. And I've been saying it that way, and nobody's called me out yet. Let us know. Let us know on Twitter, on email, cincyslangin <laughs> at gmail.com. At cincyslangin on Twitter. <laughs> is it Bengals or Bengals? Is, is it Coombs or is it Combs? <laughs> Let us know. But Hummer, enough with the side tangents. We've gotten far way off track here. This was a podcast not meant to start with football, not meant to start with um you know, get off my lawn, opting out of bowl games takes. Instead, I wanted to talk about the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program, which since we last talked, suffered a nail-biting 80-77 to 77 loss at home to the Xavier Musketeers. And they also then just followed that up with a, a knockdown, knockout victory over the Miami Redhawks, 103-76. to 76. A tale of two games. I would say the Xavier game in particular was one of um, a glass case of emotions. If you're a Cincinnati Bearcat fan, I was able to watch live the first half before I walked into the Nutcracker to watch my my uh, beautiful kids perform, and uh, it was a lovely so you performance. In fact had your you in fact had your nuts cracked. <laughs> Sorry, I went there. <laughs> It's 41-24. Bearcats are down by 17 at halftime, and I would say that's the gloomiest that Wes Miller's tenure at UC has ever been. That 15-minute halftime was was ugly. It was full of off-the-top-rope takes. It was full of guys just wiping their hands and saying, who's next? Moving on. It was full of people on the other side of the coin uh, rationalizing and, and kind of explaining away any sort of shortcomings we've seen so far on the court. 
And uh, and then there was plenty of people in the middle who just said, you know, hey, I get it. There's not a lot of talent, but at the same time, this team doesn't seem to play a very uh, cohesive or intelligent style of basketball. What the hell is going on? What, Second what say half- you about that? What what say what say you about the the talent comment? Like, what is your take? On, does UC have the talent to play? I want to. I want to get schools? there. I want to get there. But let, let's let's at least summarize kind of where we ended up. That game, the Bearcats mounted a furious comeback. Frankly, I think they cut it to three points um, on an Odio Guama and one with about three minutes left in the game. Definitely a winnable opportunity, winnable game at Fifth Third Arena. Came down to the wire. Felt like a normal crosstown shootout game. Xavier holds on after a wild finish where West Miller takes the intentional timeout to elicit a um, a technical foul, which then gives the Bearcats a chance to tie with less than a second left. It, it was low chance, low probability of victory regardless, but I think the, the furious second half comeback did at least show some fight, showed some spirit, and I think we did actually learn some things that you saw implemented in that Miami game. So before we get into talent versus coaching, and and I would say that's the, that's the same, that's the equivalent of, Prater versus Bryant on the basketball court. Is it talent or is it coaching? Which one is it? How, how are you feeling? Where was your headspace? Take me back to post Xavier. Where was your headspace post Xavier after watching that game? People aren't going to like where my headspace was at because I was in the, in the crowd of, you know what? We were down 17 at half. We were looking at on a trajectory of just flat out embarrassing play, just embarrassing. And, you know, to the point where like last year, you know, that, that we were just going back to last year's crosstown shootout, just being totally and utterly defeated in every aspect of the game to coming back, not only coming back, there was a couple of points in that game where we made it close. I think you, you talked about with, you know, four or five minutes left, Odio Guama, you know, dunks the ball, we're down three. And then, you know, we kind of go on a little bit of scoring drop. Xavier takes it back up to, I think at one point they go back up 11 and we're down in the final seconds, and Davis Julius hits a, a four-point play to tie the game up with, with, I think, 17 seconds left. Like, hell of a hell of a way to, to bring that game to, to being a winnable winnable thing. So I was I was actually not as down about the loss. I was upset because we lost to Xavier again, but I wasn't as dejected as I probably could have been considering the fact that they played so well in the second half. And it seemed to me that there was um, – maybe a spark, uh, a fire lit under their ass. And that's where that comment earlier comes about the best coach of the day being Kenyon Martin. We heard he gave a little halftime speech that had something to do with, you know, show some fucking pride dollar for me, you know, and being a bear cat. Right. After, and, after the game, David DeJulius revealed during his post game press conference that Kenyon Martin did in fact come into the locker room. He was a guest at the game, guest of honor. He's always a guest of honor. Anytime he's in Cincinnati, it is a true blessing Anytime he graces our wonderful city and especially our wonderful fifth third arena, he walked into that locker room and I'm pretty sure he, he, you know, probably had some choice words about what he saw in that first half and what he expected to see in the second. And it, it seemed as though those, those words of wisdom resonated. Yeah. And they, they, frankly, they resonated with me too. Uh, because like, we're, it's like, look, look we're not, it's like, I was talking about this and, and I was just talking, I was texting you about this kind of this like macro level type of idea of like where UC fans actually stand. And when you start looking at the different generations of fans 
and I know this isn't going to be everybody. So if, if I'm leaving you out or I'm not describing you, fine, whatever. But when you're talking about Hummer's, like, Hummer's you, worried about worried about getting canceled by UC fans right yeah, now. Who getting are you canceled excluding? by UC fans. Because I'm about to say, like, it's not going to apply to everybody, whatever. But like you and I, we're, we're like 33, 34, 35. We're in this generation where we we wreck, we were almost too small. We we're way too little to remember the really early 90s, the very first years of, of the Huggins era. But we got to witness the middle. Right. We got to watch the 94, the 95, all the way through the mid 2000s. And we remember that era of elite UC basketball. And I'm using it's elite. Right. And, 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 now, and an important caveat there is it's our childhood memories of the team. This is when you form, you develop your formative memories of your favorite sports teams during this age. That was peak Cincinnati Bearcat basketball when we were children. Right. And and now the generation here, and this doesn't make it any like more or less fandom. That's not what I'm getting at here. It's more along the lines of there's a whole cohort of fans who don't, they didn't live through that era. They don't really know that era of, of UC basketball. And especially these particular players, think about most of this team did not grow up in Cincinnati. They probably did not, they weren't able to grow up following the eliteness of it. If they had heard of seen of Cincinnati through the mediocre to good years of, of Cronin. Right? A, perfect, a perfect a perfect example of this is David DeJulius talking about what he knew of Cincinnati Bearcat basketball before coming to Cincinnati. And he talked about, you know, seeing Sean Kilpatrick on TV and doing the things he did in the Big East. That is a perfect encapsulation to me of what the modern player remembers about Cincinnati Bearcat basketball. It's not the stories we tell. It's not the stories our dads tell. It's the stories of Sean Kilpatrick and those guys, the more modern Mick Cronin era. And that's a completely different era, but it is actually a similar essence and a similar vibe to what we experience as kids. I think culturally there were some similarities. Oh, for sure. That's why I'm trying to say like, it's not making us better or, or worse, but the difference with like the Huggins and when they're saying have some, you know, have some, have some pride in being a Bearcat is look, we had teams during that time who were, we were national championship favorites. We were number one ranked teams in the country. And it wasn't just because, of some fluke in the system that, that pushes us up there that could happen like in sometimes in the BCS or no, like these were really good elite basketball teams that we put on the court. And sometimes you just got to go in and remind these players of who they're actually representing because at some other schools right now, Duke, they have recent history where they're elite, right? UNC has recent history where they're elite. Kansas still has recent history where they're elite. UC falls into this category of we can return and become a blue blood because we have the history there. But right now that history is starting to become distant and we need to close the gap. Right. And so it's great having a guy like Kenny be able to come in, light that fire, remind these kids of where you're actually playing, right? You're playing on in fifth third arena. This house, this house is housed some of the greatest, this university has housed some of the greatest teams in college basketball history, recognize it and play with some fucking pride. When we moved on from Mick Cronin, we moved on to a coach in John Brandon for two years that pushed us further away from our identity. Those teams and that, that style of play was not capturing the essence and the and the culture of Cincinnati Bears, Bearcat basketball. When Wes Miller gets hired, he's now challenged with resuscitating that culture, but he's doing it with a collection of new players to the program and existing players who largely were from an era that also was subjected to a lot of turnover. And so essentially with the current roster that we've had during the West Miller era, 
it is completely detached and disconnected from the Mick Cronin era. Almost uh, only a fraction, like there's a fraction of guys who had any sort of overlap with guys who existed and were present during Mick Cronin basketball, which means it becomes that much more difficult to pass along those traits and pass along what it means to dig in every single play defensively, to make sure that you are boxing out every single rebound, to make sure that you are diving on the floor and leaving nothing, uh, nothing is left in the gas tank at the end of a game. I feel like that's what we saw through the first half of the Xavier game was a team that just doesn't represent what Cincinnati Bearcat basketball was about. And we hear Wes Miller talk about what his ideal basketball team looks like, the way they play, the effort he wants to see on the court. And it wasn't necessarily, it hasn't been, it just frankly has not been reflected on the court. And so I think it's completely reasonable for me, you, other fans to be frustrated by the product, no matter how, what you feel about the talent, no matter what you feel about the talent, the day in game in game out attention to detail, defensive execution, defensive energy, spirit, heart, whatever you want to call it, the character of this team has been lacking. It has been lackluster. You don't see them put two halves together. You don't see them playing a style that inspires a crowd to to stand on their feet and, and give ovations just based on pure hustle and determination alone. That's not something we've consistently seen. And then you fast forward to the second half of the Xavier game, and I felt like we actually did see flashes of that old style Cincinnati Bearcat basketball. Mm. We saw, I think, I think it cannot be understated. We saw Jeremiah Davenport get less minutes in the second half of that game. We saw that carry over into this Miami game. And in his place, you're seeing Odio Guama get more minutes, who is strictly a hustle player. This is not a guy who's bringing a lot of skill to the table, but he is someone who's going to run like hell when he's on the court. He's going to rebound. His body's going to be flying around, laying it all out there to try and block shots, to try and get an extra board, to try and make a play defensively. He knows what his role role is. He's a junkyard dog on this team. And I think Wes Miller is starting to realize that we have to get back to that style of basketball. We cannot afford to to play guys who aren't going to be all in on defending every single possession, who aren't willing to sacrifice their bodies to make a play defensively, who aren't able to, to not get you know picked on possession by possession by possession. I think that you are starting to see a shift with the, what's what appears to be, you know, full-time benching of Kalua Zikbe. He did get some, some minutes during Miami, but not until the lead was extended. And I think that he is trying to kind of reconstruct on the fly, the role of Jeremiah Davenport, who, Everyone can understand why Jeremiah Davenport would be a really good role player on this basketball team. If he's a low usage catch and shoot player who is spacing out the defense by extending out to the three point line, offering a threat in the corners, a guy who's catching and moving the ball if the shot's not there, all of that makes sense. He has defensive liabilities, so there's always going to be limitations there, but he has, he does have true value offensively. If he turned into that role player overnight, that makes more sense. But as a go-to guy who's isolating at the top of the key, who's trying to go off the dribble, it makes no sense. And so I think Wes Miller is sort of having this epiphany and this realization of, I have to do things differently with who I'm who I'm giving minutes to, how I'm giving these minutes out, and how I'm holding players accountable to what they're doing on the court. Uh, I mean, I was about to just say, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head with Davenport right there, because you saw some, look, I don't, we've, we've gone at this actually ad nauseum from last year, but there's parts during the Xavier game where you see him and he's covered. He has a guy in his face and he's calling for the ball like he's open. 
right? And then as soon as he gets the ball, he just he he, he jacks it up. And I'm not kidding. The ESPN, I forget who the broadcaster was, but he he flat out said it. That was terrible offense. There was a hand in his face, right? And that's the kind of stuff. So and the way to limit that is either you got like you said, hold him accountable. And how do you do that? You either pull him out of the game when you see those things happening, or you start giving him less minutes overall while you're having those conversations at practice about, hey, being more selective with your shots, doing coaching, right? And, that, and that's where that's where you think you need to see it because you you are right. He is valuable offensively. It's just not in the role that he he sees himself as. He's not a David the Julius type of player, right? He's a Jeremiah Davenport type of player. Catch the ball off the pass when you're open, shoot. Catch that extra pass. That's something I saw tonight against Miami was incredible. Sometimes the open man in the corner who was, you know, pretty open, passed the ball to the guy who was wide open so we could nail the open shot. We shot 60% from three because most of the ones we took were wide freaking open because the extra pass. Wide open in rhythm three-pointers. And it's important to point out what's happened in this Miami game. I'm still waiting on the final box score to show me the total minute breakdowns. What I mm-hmm. saw, it does seem like Odio Guama for the second straight game got many more minutes than he's been seeing through the first, um, you know, nine games of the season, Jeremiah Davenport starting to see less minutes, but Jeremiah Davenport's minutes were overall better minutes than we've seen lately. And I'm going to speak more offensively because I think defensively, he's not the most athletic player. He doesn't have, he doesn't, he, while he has decent size, he's not, he's certainly not twitchy. He's certainly not someone who can jump off the page in terms of athleticism. I don't think he has a particularly long wingspan. I don't think yet. And then he, he gets too lackadaisical defensively. Like there is, there is a level of lackadaisical play that does hinder his game and ability to be effective on that side of the court. Offensively though, we saw multiple times this game where he was, he had a chance to take a semi contested shot, a shot that wouldn't have even necessarily been a bad shot. Probably would have been rushed. It would have been a bit on the selfish side, but he moved it. He moved the ball to Josh Reed for that open three in the corner. And those are such subtle decisions that do wonders for the team. A, it gives Josh Reed, who's a pretty solid three-point shooter, a much more in-rhythm, high-percentage shot from the corner. So instantly you're increasing the team's chances of scoring because the guy taking the shot is taking a better shot than the one you would have had had you not make, make it the past, had you not made the pass. Also, by making the pass, what is he doing culturally for this team? Right, You're moving away from selfish basketball. You're moving away from caring about what my stats are, how I'm getting off, about me being the guy. Jeremiah Davenport is not the guy for this team. He should not be option one. He should not be option two. He should not be option three. This is your fourth option offensively. David DeJulius, Landers Nolly, and Victor Locken are your top three options. And the offense should run through those guys essentially at all times, depending on who's in, who's on the court when. But Jeremiah Davenport is a knockdown three-point shooter who should be there as a threat every time he's on the court. He should be extending guys to the three-point line, pulling big defenders away from the hoop so that David DeJulius, who is way more aggressive against Miami, can get to the rim with ease. Stop settling for step-back jumpers, David DeJulius. Get to the rim like you did against Miami. You have to put pressure on teams and and make them believe that you will be a threat at the rim because if you are, it makes those step-backs that much more open. So it was great to see him finally attacking the hoop again. Landers Nolly, don't drift out in and out of games. You are you don't have to be Armin Kirkland. 
you can be a guy who asserts himself and takes a couple dribbles and pull and 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 knocks down some pull up jumpers from the mid range. Knock down some in rhythm he, threes. He's asking. He's asking right now who's Armin Kirkland. <laughs> yeah, there's the disconnect again. But Hummer, sorry, I, I had to bring that, it up. The Miami I mean, that gets game, back to the Miami game. We saw it. We started. We started seeing why we can be better than what pe- people are blaming it on the talent. No, the talent is good enough to. That's beat what I was down just about to ask teams. you. That's just what I was about to ask you. Like from from the talent perspective, what everybody's saying, does this team have the talent to to compete? And I think the answer is yes. We came into this year thinking this was a bubble team at almost at worst, if you would. Like this was a this is a team we think has the ability to make an NCAA tournament. To do that, you have to do what? You have to beat teams like Northern Kentucky, right? You you have to beat these bad teams in in this is where you get the kinks out, right? This is where you work out your offense. This is where you you get practice against players who don't know you or you don't know like the back of your hands, right? And this is an issue when you're not being teams like like this. This this is what you want to see. You want to beat bad teams convincingly and you want to do it with execution, not gritting it out. You want to there's going to be some tough ones where you're just going to have a bad night and you do have to grit it out, but you want to see these where you just come in and you beat the snot off someone and you do it in what I would say is the right way. You also, tonight I saw something that was encouraging as well. Micah Adams-Woods was was dribbling the ball, and he, he's driving to the basket. He kind of gets held up, right, looks to try to find a, an outlet to pass, can't really find it, dribbles basically back and forth underneath the basket like two, two times, third time he ends up doing like a little reverse layup and making it. Wes immediately calls a timeout, chews him out, and pulls him off. It's one of the first times I've seen Wes kind of hold a guy accountable mid-game. And that's something that I think is also, especially at this college level, that's effective. If you're needing to teach a guy something, you pull them off the court when they do something you don't like. I'm happy to see Wes was kind of, he was, what's he like to say? He's fired. He looked fired up tonight. But Wes he also Miller, like death. He did. He, Wes Miller just had his flu game. Did you see Wes Miller at halftime? Oh, my God. I literally was like, is he dead? Uh, I wanted to go deliver that man a Zycam. I needed that man to to take a Zycam, hit him with some Dayquil, uh, get him some orange juice. That man needed something. He needed supplements at halftime. I hope the I hope the athletic staff, Mangini, took care of that guy. He looked rough. Yeah. Whatever whatever Bryant had, it's like it's catching up. <laughs> he Wes Miller looked like uh, a character from a movie that was like infected with the virus, and he was going to be patient zero. Like he's the guy who's like, oh my god, he just died of a mysterious virus. Like any any of my Station Eleven watchers out there or readers, he was he's the guy dropping dead on the on, on the on the Broadway play. That's sort of a harbinger for what's to come for society. That's what Wes Miller looked like tonight. I'm glad it, I'm glad that's not what's to come. But my 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 man needs to go home, get some rest, and be ready for Saturday. Did Did you also see? Uh... Like, so that, that interview you're talking about, like his, his entire shirt, there wasn't a single like square millimeter of, of fabric that wasn't soaked in sweat. But then when he came out in the second half, I I wish someone would ask us, did he change shirts? Like, I think he changed shirts. It was a fresh shirt. He looked clean and he looked like a brand new man. The second half. I wonder if that's part of his metaphor. Like guys, that's that first half. It was great, but look, it's done. All right, it's a new game. Score zero to zero. I'm putting on a new shirt, guys. So, I want I want to make mention of some, get kind of back to the basketball side of things here. 
we we make mention tonight of the fact that the Bearcats dropped 103 points, explosive offensive performance. But it's also a team that has been scoring decent points through the season. But I want to point out a couple things. When the Bearcats had their prolific 93-point performance against Arizona and Maui, they scored 33 field goals, and they did so on 12 assists. So just over a third of their baskets were assisted in that game. When the Bearcats played Louisville and beat them 81-62, 33 baskets, 17 assists. So a little better, just over half of their baskets were, were assisted in that game. NJIT, a very weak opponent, someone we should dominate, a, a game that I thought was not as impressive as the final score. You see the Bearcats beat them 86 to 60. So another high scoring game. Bearcats score, they score 32 baskets. They assist on 12 of them. So again, just over a third of their baskets are assisted against NJIT. Fast forward to the game against Xavier. Bearcats score 77. So not as prolific. They only scored 27 baskets and they only assisted on 11 of those. Again, over a third, but it's still pretty, it's an ugly percentage. Now look at this Miami game, 103 points output. The output's incredible. Bearcats shoot 38 of 60 from the field for 63%. 38 field goals. 23 of them were assisted. 23 of them were assisted. And and it can actually, you can go back to that Bryant performance. That Bryant performance was sneaky good as well. Um, Bearcats had 38 field goals with 25 assists. We we kind of know what they have to do. When they get stuck in that selfish isolation hero basketball, things go to shit. Things get ugly. And unfortunately, our measuring sticks have been far and few between because we we've been playing teams like Bryant. We're playing, you know, a Travis Steele coached Miami team. And by the way, Travis Steele is exactly who he thought he was. This guy. Is this someone you believe in, Hummer? I know Miami's got a ton of turnover. I'm sure it can get better, but Travis Steele's exactly who we thought he was. I mean, oh, I can't believe I'm about to say this. He did get fired from Xavier and went to Miami. That's just, that's that is a step back. You went from the Big East to the MAC. Uh, <laughs> but not only that, like look at what Sean Miller is essentially doing with the talent that he recruited. Not that this team, I don't. I think Xavier's team is honestly going to struggle. I think they're going to struggle in the Big East uh, when when play comes around. Uh, because I, I honestly don't think their talent was is that much greater than what Cincinnati has on our roster. Uh, but Sean Miller is able to do more with less in that in that sense, where Travis Steele is clearly – he's a poor man's Mick Cronin, a.k.a. Mick Cronin was good, and he's he basically teaches defense and nothing else, but his defense isn't even that good. I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, he's definitely not on Mick Cronin's level. So I, what we're trying to say, if we're going to get back to the Bearcats, is that it's pretty obvious at this point what they have to do. You've got to defend for 40 minutes. I, I think this game against Miami was positive for a variety of reasons. We're seeing Wes Miller starting to coach these guys. He's starting to make some tough decisions. We saw the style of offense that they have to play. Are we going to be as prolific against every team in the American as we were against the Miami Redhawks today. No, we're not, but we still should be getting assists on our baskets. You don't score 103. Instead, you score 79. You're not scoring 38 baskets. You're scoring 29, but you're assisting on 17 of them. We have to see the ball 
popping around more. We have to see the team when things get tough, when adversity hits, do not fall back on ugly hero basketball where you're going to save the day by jacking a contested three-point shot, where you're going to save the day by shooting early in the clock or driving without passing the ball or not trusting you know, your teammates to, to swing in a couple times, break down the defense, and find a better option. Don't go five minutes without giving Victor a lock and a look down low. Like There's just obvious things this team needs to do going forward where if they do them and they actually execute on a game-to-game, have-to-have basis, we're looking at them beating a lot of the teams in the American Athletic because it's a very weak conference. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit on this schedule, Hummer. Yeah, I think one thing I, I'm going to try to keep myself in mind is, is that this is is this particular year, this particular edition of the Cincinnati Bearcats are not defensive oriented, which means we're going to have to win games in ways that we frankly haven't seen in a very long time, which is legitimately outscoring our opponents and and being more offensively efficient than our opponents. Luckily, that is something that we seem to be trending up in is offensive efficiency. So you're right. If we put up 79, 80 points a game, we're going to win a lot of basketball games because there's not going to be a lot of teams that are going to keep pace with that and being able to score 79, 80 points a game with us. It's just when we're off, those are going to be tough games that we're, that's when we're going to lose is if we're not assisting, we're playing selfish hero ball. This is not an exaggeration. If Wes Miller continues with the trend, of evening out the minute distribution with Jeremiah Davenport and guys like Odio Guama and Jared Hensley, we do become a better defensive team. I cannot remember a player in my lifetime watching the Cincinnati Bearcats that is as destructive to your team defense as Jeremiah Davenport is. That's just facts. And so the mistake you make as a coach is putting him in the wrong positions, is by making him a 30-minute-a-game guy is by enabling him to be a go-to player offensively. If you can coach him to be and play his role effectively and well and understand the fact that you're not a 30-minute-a-game guy, you're a 20-minute or less-a-game guy, and we need to even this out so that we get more defensive fortitude on the court in Odio Guama and Jared Hensley so that we give more opportunity to the Josh Reeds and the Daniel Skillings, who are the future of Cincinnati Bearcat basketball and are clear rising stars long-term. Those things happen and your defensive rating starts improving. You start seeing longer stretches of holding teams scoreless. You see more possessions strung together where you're forcing teams into difficult shots and you're not allowing them to just abuse, you know, the weakest link over and over again. And so I think by making simple coaching changes in terms of his rotation, things get better on that end. And then if you also are simultaneously getting the best version of Jeremiah Davenport offensively, He's stretching teams out and exhausting them and and making them work on the def- on their defensive side by the fact that he him stretching the court, being a threat from the outside, making that extra pass and making his teammates better. There are problems to be solved by Jeremiah Davenport simply being a better player and being the best version of himself. And I think I'm hopeful we'll start seeing that moving forward based on how Wes has started coaching him for the last three halves. And that's all I that's all I gotta say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Back to the bowl game. <laughs> We've got a bowl game this week, Hummer. 
Carrie Coombs is leading the Cincinnati Bearcats into the Fenway Bowl against Louisville. Are we going to go deep dive into the Fenway Bowl? First I think off, not. Uh, first think off, not. it's not Louisville, all right? It's not Louisville. It's Louisville. I don't care what anybody has to say about it. It's My Louisville. Bad. That's on me, Coach. That's on me. <laughs> oh, we're arguing about pronunciation here. Uh, I mean, the deep dive, what that deep dive is there to do? I, I forget who said it in the Discord channel. If you're not in it, you should check it out. Uh, send us a send us a message, DM on Twitter, whatever. We'll, we'll send out a link after this. Join the Discord. Great conversations happening here, but someone was bringing up, is, is Kerry Coombs going to have to go and, and, and run the triple option? That is a legit question that might that might be true with all the all the talent that's leaving. But here is something that like I know our coach is no longer Luke Fickle, but I know he did a great job recruiting while he's here. I am still confident with the talent that was on the roster in in the next guy up category because we know that these guys are moving on to the NFL draft. There has to be someone to replace them, right? So. Fingers crossed. There's talent in the way, talent in the way, in the waiting wings here, the waiting room, ready to just pop off the chart, bring home that keg of nails. Think about what we saw through most of the football season. For every game but one, you saw Ben Bryant as your starting quarterback. You saw Tyler Scott as your leading receiver. You saw Trey Tucker as your other leading receiver. You saw two future NFL tight ends and Josh Wiley and Lenny Taylor. Guess who's not playing in the Fenway Bowl? Ben Bryant, Tyler Scott, Trey Tucker, Josh Wiley, and Lenny Taylor. So you're getting a game led by Evan Prater. It does sound as though Ryan Montgomery will be playing. Um, Corey Kiner, you've got you kind of got your your collection of running backs there still, but you're going to be looking at all new receivers on the edge there, and you're going to see new tight ends. Like it's going to be fresh faces abound, and in some ways when you have a bowl game that doesn't have a ton of stakes and you've got Louisville's, you know, starting quarterback Cunningham opting out of the game, they also have lost their head coach. What this do you is... mean? Not a ton of stakes. I have literally other than the playoff, <laughs> other than the Chick-fil-A bowl, even arguably the Chick-fil-A bowl. This is the biggest bowl game. The Cincinnati Bearcats have ever played in because of the fact that it is a rival in Louisville and they are one of the most annoying fan bases in the world like they are miserable people i i forgot how miserable they were having not played them in however many years like it only took us vulturing their coach to remind me how much i hate louisville their level of hatred for louisville is close to the level of hatred i have for xavier it is very freaking close how much I hate Louisville. And that's why I was like, this is in my mind, one of the biggest, like I'm literally am scheduling my day Saturday around this bowl game. Is there a weirder bowl game matchup in the history of college football? Is there a uh, weirder game bowl game matchup? I, I put it to you. I, I don't know, but we have a situation where the game is being, let's just start where the game is being played. It's being played in a baseball stadium. <laughs> the game is being played in a baseball stadium. The game is being played where both sidelines are on the same sideline. They are sharing a sideline. That's the starting point, right? If both teams had their normal head coaches, their normal players, but that's that's just weird in itself, Hummer. Now throw in Luke Fickle left the Cincinnati Bearcats. 
Scott Satterfield. You were about to say Kenny. You were about to say Kenny. Scott Satterfield (laughs) left the Louisville Cardinals for the Cincinnati Bearcats. Scott Satterfield has started poaching players from Louisville to come to Cincinnati. Harry Coombs is actually the head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats for this game. Like there are so many weird connections. And then I, I obviously already, I already went through the fact that basically the entirety of each team has opted out of the game itself. This is one of the weirdest football games you will ever see given the dynamics of both head coaches leaving us taking their head coach to become our new head coach. All of it is just incredibly strange, incredibly weird. And I can't wait to watch it. All right. When you see pulls this off and wins this game, I'm going to have so many Fenway bowl t-shirts, right? I'm so many uh i'm i'm going to become the ultimate troll i'm going to hijack the corporate account for 24 hours and do nothing but troll university of louisville supporters media just they're going to be trolled and trolled very hard and if we lose i'm going to crawl into my cave and be holding a a non-existent keg of nails it'll be a keg of tears uh, I cannot, I wouldn't be able to take it. I don't know. It's, it's, to me, you're right. It's a weird game, especially because it's 11 a.m. kickoff. I just, I can't get over it. Like what else is going on in Fenway in Boston that you need to do 11 a.m. kickoff? Like it's weird. Fenway, Fenway has lights. I didn't right? mention it's that. Already, that's, a, that's another very weird thing about the game. It's an 11 a.m. kickoff ET. It's already cold as balls up there. Why do you why why does it need to be played at eleven a.m.? Why do you, are they you know what it is? I know what it is. They don't want to turn the lights on because of how much it costs. So they got to play the game early enough that you finish the game without turning the lights on to save the few thousand dollars because this bowl probably generates zero revenue because no one goes to it. But sorry, not no one. Very few people go to it because it is in fact a football game played at a baseball stadium at eleven a.m. Should we make any wild and crazy predictions for the game? Uh, UC is going to win by three touchdowns. Okay. Corey Kiner. Corey hang, Kiner on, hang on. Let's go Corey one at a time. We'll, we'll start pinging them back and forth. So you say Cincinnati Bearcats win by three touchdowns. I say Evan Prater throws for 300 yards and rushes for 100. I will take the under on the passing yards. I would take – that's where the over-under should be set-ish is around, I'd say, 80 yards on, on Evan. Um, but I'm going to throw – I'm going to throw Ryan Montgomery and Corey combining combining their rushing yards for, for over uh, 150 on the over-under. So we're going to have, I think, around 230 yards with about of, – of rushing with about two uh, – I'm scared to say 200. I think probably 150 in the air. It's going to be – it's going to be – we're going to have to slog this through the, through the it's going to be a mutter. You're right. My prediction makes no sense at all, but I'm sticking with it. Evan Prater, Evan Prater, I guess that's a very specific prediction. I essentially am predicting though, that Evan Prater has the kind of game that makes people second guess, second guess wanting to ship him off. Anybody who was overreacting to the Tulane game and coming away from it, saying that we don't have a quarterback and we need to, and we need to figure out something else. We have to get other guys in the portal and, you know, let Evan Prater go where he goes. I'm just predicting that Evan Prater in this bowl game 
has has those has those skeptics has the haters second guessing that take. That's 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 my opinion about what happens in the Fenway Bowl. All right, uh, let's 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 discuss this here. I I I I think you're what what am I trying to ask here is what in your mind is an actual a true game that makes people think that because I think the expectations for me are a lot lower for me to say hey this is the game that we want to see from Evan yeah to to for it to happen I said 300 and 100 it doesn't have to be that for I I think if Evan Prater goes in here and I think he will do this you're looking at no interceptions you're looking at two touchdowns throwing and a touchdown rushing you're looking at like a super clean just impressive from start to finish. Wow, this guy's pretty explosive. Wow, he does open some interesting things up for the running game. Oh, and he actually can make some passes. It's not as disastrous as we thought. I'm just, I think that we're going to see that. So for me to say this is a game that makes you 100% not want any transfer from the portal whatsoever, I do think you're looking at a game where he's having 60%-ish or above completion ratio or percentage with 200 yards of passing and over hundred yards of rushing. I think that's kind of the benchmark. Cause if I'm looking at, if I'm going back to even like the Tulane game, you know, he didn't have a great completion ratio. He threw for like a, a, a little over a buck 20. Uh, so I'm just, I'm thinking that's more along the lines of what we need to see. He did have, uh, you know, like 80 yards rushing. So I think you need, you need to see more on that passing side to show that he is a dual threat quarterback and not just a one dimensional, he's going to run the ball. He actually, we need to be able to establish that, that he's going to be able to throw the ball. The tough part there is the fact that you just mentioned all of the offensive weapons that would make this team incredibly dangerous through the air are shipping off to the draft and protecting, protecting their bodies because all of them planned on getting hurt in the Fenway bowl. Oh, Hummer you with this take i know it's terrible it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense why if you're going to the nfl and have draft prospects why risk guys diving at your knees or trying to take off your head or just having that random fluke injury that is going to hurt your stock from a perception standpoint whether or not you have time to recover why put something else against you when these guys aren't surefire first round picks or anything. These are guys who have to work their way up a draft board. Why would they risk that? You mentioned, you mentioned it, that guy's opting out of the college football playoff. So or the I Fenway think Bowl. well, I'm saying why, if it's, if it's, that's the case, if they're opting out of the playoff, why play in your conf, why play in the last game of the year? Why play in the conference championship? Why not opt out halfway through the season when it's a foregone conclusion that you're an NFL talent, why, why even play your last year? Why don't you just sit out and work out with NFL? Why don't you, know, it, it, you can keep taking it as far as you really want, but at some point, why do you risk playing at, in any of these games towards the end of the season? Then if you know that your stock's high enough that you're getting drafted. I mean, honestly, it makes less sense for those guys, for guys from Ohio state, Alabama. I think you can actually absorb the risk because of the fact that you're, if you're already like a surefire first rounder, um, I could see it both ways. But I also, again, I say that, but then you have to also remember this isn't basketball. This is football. This is yeah. football where devastating career altering injuries do happen. It is meant to be a violent sport. That's what we love about it. And if you have first round status seemingly locked up, 
Why jeopardize that? Go start running routes against chairs. Get your check <laughs> and enjoy your life. Go run routes against chairs. Hey, Bobby Knight made those chairs very dangerous, okay? I just turned the NFL com- combine into Yi Jillian's workout against for NBA teams. Hummer, I let's leave it. it there, buddy. Let's leave it there. We're going to postpone talk of Scott Satterfield's coaching staff for a little longer because there are still bowl games being played. And Brady Collins is staying with the Bearcats as a strength and conditioning coach through the bowl game. So there is less urgency there than there would be otherwise. The offensive coordinator position is still pending. But I think there's something to talk we about got, there. We got two, we I, got two minutes, right? We, it's only going to take two minutes really uh, kind I, of get the, I want to the give take a, that we have for the takes that we have right now because the staff is incomplete, right? Because what we're basically hearing is, oh, this is he's just he's just taking guys that you know, two guys that are existing, the rest of the staff is leaving, and the rest of the people so far from Louisville. Well, I'm not I think, I'm not I think criticizing. Just, I'm not even criticizing it. That's what I'm saying. I don't want to criticize it yet, but I want to point well, out. Well, I'm not that- going to criticize it. I just want to. I'm pointing out that. The biggest thing to keep in mind is the larger we have a, all this this large coaching assistant coaching pool, and let's diagnose why we have that large assistant coaching pool. When Fickle apparently was unhappy here, one of his comments was his assistant coaches kept leaving. How do you keep assistant coaches from leaving? You pay them more, right? You help you you keep them from switching from coordinator to coordinator roles. Right. Den Brock, I don't not that we all were fond of Den Brock. Maybe he doesn't leave for LSU if he's getting paid the same amount of money he's getting paid at LSU. I don't know. My whole point is, though, if you're able to raise these guys pay, you get more stability in the in the coordinator roles. You can have more long term sustained success and guys are happier. That's where this is my biggest takeaway. Even if he's bringing over the guys from Louisville, it's fine as long as they're going to stay and not take the coordinator role, say, at Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, which is what Denbrock was at one point looking to do. He was looking to leave to go to Vanderbilt. That one really left a mark on you. That's something you haven't been able to shake. No, you're leaving to go. Did be you, offensive. We did not talk about the rumor that Denbrock badly wanted an interview for the head coaching job here and Cunningham didn't give him one. Can we just <laughs> we did not. Can we stop? We did not talk about that. <laughs> standing ovation for John Cunningham. Thank you. Thank you. That would have been that would have been awful. Thank you, John Cunningham. <laughs> Thank you for, for rejecting that turd. That's where we end it. <laughs> all right. That all right.